Hi, my name is Nikki. My name is Charlie. And you're listening to Bed Bed Crime Crime Stories, Stories. a weekly true crime podcast where we pour ourselves a drink and we tell each other the stories that keep us up at night. This week's true crime headlines, a man suspected of sexually assaulting woman in St. Pete arrested in Pennsylvania. Okay. So this is from abcactionnews.com. This is like what my nightmares are are made of okay um according to the saint petersburg police department anthony Sowell met a woman who was out with her friends at a local bar Sowell and the woman later um ended up at a house in the tyrone area um where he bound and beat her before sexually assaulting her police say mm. um and then after the attack Sowell called a ride sharing service for the woman mm. yeah. mm-hmm. so that's a very interesting uh, story, and you can find that on abcactionnews.com. Fun. It's literally nightmare. Not at all. It's not fun, by the way. No. I, I use sarcasm as a weapon. Yeah. So I just want to apologize. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Um, both of these are actually, like, things that literally give me, like, major anxiety. This next one gives me a hell of a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pinellas teen, uh, with whole life ahead of her, is murdered in attempting carjacking. This was on people.com. Uh, people say police, uh, Stan, police say Stanley Cotrin, I believe is how you say his last name, opened fire on Skylar Owen's car, fatally wounding her and injuring a male passenger. Um, and from what this article was kind of saying was he, he was like on a spree, like he had carjacked someone else and then was shooting into other people's cars. Dear Lord. And that's, that's freaking terrifying. That is freaking terrifying. Because I'm like. I have such anxiety when I'm at, like, stoplights that I'm like... When was this? uh, It was posted, I believe, yesterday, one day ago, October 12th. Dang. So, yeah. And she was... Oh, my goodness. She's gorgeous. Right? 19. (gasps) 19 years old. Wow. Uh, But that's, like, that is, like... That's frightening. That's just simply frightening. Nightmares. And that happens more commonly than you think. That happened recently in Tampa. And I'm just like, oh, no. Yeah. So those are my true crime headlines for the week. And now I'm going to send it to Charlie for this week's story. All right, y'all. I'm going to sit back and just chill. All right. Yes. Yes, please do. Take a little. Also, if it sounds like I'm farting, it's the chair. I will tell you when it's the chair and when it's actually farting. Okay. You'll know. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I will be telling you all the story of the murder of Joey Hattenbrunn. So my sources for this story are an investigation discovery television show called Relatively Evil. Ooh. Yeah. It was season one, episode one, and the title of the episode was Deadly Dynamics. Yay, ID channel. Um, I also got um, some additional information from Joey Lynn Crouch Hattenbrunn's obituary. So her own obituary. I also got information from Hernando News Today and from the Tampa Bay Times. So I do want to give a brief disclaimer um, for my story. So the ID show that acted as my primary resource for the story, they changed some of the names of the people who were involved in the crime. Now, the information is available online. You can go online and find these news articles. You can find the stories. You can find the real names of the people involved. However, 
I am choosing to use the names that were provided from the ID show in order to respect those who wish to remain as anonymous as possible. So I will say, though, that the victim's name and the assailant's name are accurate. So you get the um, you will get enough detail from the story to be able to look up the story yourself if you so choose to do so. All right. So let's go ahead and jump in. So. Joey Lynn Crouch was born on February 13th, 1981 in Key West, Florida. Mm. I know. Oh, God, I love Key West. Never been. Oh, my God, I love Key West. She um, she moved to Hernando County, Florida with her family in 1994. She graduated from Central High School in 1999, and she earned an associate's degree from Pasco Hernando State College shortly after. So as we begin our story, Joey was working as a pharmacy technician at a local CVS. So we begin our story in the summer of 2000. Joey Crouch is 19 years old. She and Mark Hattenbrunn have been dating for just under a year-ish. They decide that it's time for them to move in together and they want to kind of take their relationship to the next level, make it a little bit more serious. But they were not going to be living alone. So Joey and Mark would be moving in with Randy, who is Mark's younger brother. Randy owned the house that they were moving into. Now, yeah. Now, Randy was not too happy about Joey Joey moving in with the two of them, with Randy and Mark. He was often rude, and he was dismissive of Joey, and he was very dismissive of Joey and Mark's relationship. Just, like, very... Um, just very rude to her, very mean to her, and like kind of always picked on her and kind of always blew her off and stuff. He would often tell Mark that he wanted him that he wanted him to kick Joey out of the house because she wasn't welcomed there by Randy. And Randy wasn't actually the only member of Mark's family that didn't seem to like Joey. Mark and Randy's father, Brett, who was extremely controlling and very authoritative, also did not seem to like Joey at all so he was very clear in who he thought was the leader of the family obviously himself he did not seem to appreciate an outsider taking his son's attention away from him and the rest of the family joey did her best to try and win over the family however so she would cook meals and she would try her best to kind of overcome her way yeah she would go out of her way to try and make sure that they knew that she had the best of intentions and we're happy and please be happy for us yeah um But even though she tried to win over the family, eventually Randy kind of strong arms Mark and convinces him to ask Joey to leave and move out of the house. And she does. She moves back in with her family. She's obviously incredibly upset. She's incredibly hurt and heartbroken. Um, Her family is very angry and they're really concerned about Joey that she's being treated this way by Mark, this guy who says that he loves her. Right. And she's you know, they're very, very concerned about her well-being. Um, Joey's best friend, Sandy Liebel, who was interviewed for the show, stated that this was kind of the first of many red flags for their relationship. And after a few weeks of Joey living it back at home with her family, Mark does come back. He asks her to forgive him and also asks her to marry him. So she accepts the engagement, is very, very excited to marry Mark. Her family and friends are excited and they're happy for her. But of course, they have reservations about their relationship after you know, he took his family side over her when Randy asked her to move out. So they're just very concerned about the fact of he's not sticking up for you. Are you sure that this is kind of where you want to go type of a thing? 
Well, cut to November 5th, 2005. Joey and Mark get married. Um, The family stayed apart at the ceremony. There was a lot of tension between the two sides. Mark's family showed absolutely zero interest in meeting the rest of Joey's family. Um, But not all of the issues at the wedding were stemming from the attitudes from Mark's family. So Joey has a stepbrother named Seth who was a stepbrother from her father's previous relationship. And he was there also causing a bit of tension and a little bit of discomfort with the other de- other guests. Seth was quite a shady character. That's why you elope. Yeah, right? Seriously. Spend more on your vacation. You obviously, your vacation yeah, like you obviously know that there's problems here. Well, not even problems. There's just like attitudes here. Like just take a flight, man, and... Go to Justice of the Peace. Get it over Mm -hmm. with. So Seth was kind of a shady character. He had been the subject of actually two different homicide investigations in a nearby county. What? Yeah. Um, One of those homicide investigations actually included the strangulation death of his ex-wife. Holy shit. And yeah, her body was found on some like remote beach somewhere. The charges against Seth were eventually dropped in both of those homicide cases. And the uh, murder of his ex-wife remains unsolved. So he has a lengthy criminal past, including arrests for domestic battery. Him and Joey are not close. He's not close with her other sisters. There was a lot of animosity on Joey's part because, of course, when Seth was getting into trouble, her father would step in and try and help him out and try and and, and kind of guide him in the right direction. And because of this, Joey just would get frustrated. Like, you're not changing your behavior and dad keeps having to bail you out. Like, you got to get it together type of a thing. So yeah. there's just a lot of tension between Joey and the brother. A lot of energy going to something that energy doesn't need to be going yeah, to. For real, for real. Okay, so once the wedding was over, Joey seemed really happy to settle into married life. Um, She kind of fit in really well with that whole domestic attitude, you know. Um, But even though they lived alone, Mark's family was still constantly around. Um, Mark and Joey, the brother Randy and the parents all lived within like a block or two of one another. So they all lived like in the same area. So they were all super close and they would just kind of show up at Mark and Joey's whenever they wanted to. And there was always a lot of tension for Mark because he didn't want Joey to say anything to his family because there would be, you know, confrontation and it's not your fight and all that stuff. But then again, he still wouldn't defend Joey to his family. So it wasn't like he was doing the work for her to stick up for her against them, you know? Um, And Joey's family, of course, was still concerned that the Hattonbrunn's constant presence in their lives are going to eventually damage Joey and Mark's marriage. So they were rightfully concerned about this. Yeah. Um, In November of 2007, Joey tells the families that she is pregnant with their child. Um, Her best friend, Sandy, said that everybody was super excited because Joey had just this very strong motherly instinct. She was um, born to be a mom. She had all this love to give and everybody was just super, super excited. Both families, including the Hattonbruns, were super stoked about Joey being pregnant and the baby um, arriving. But unfortunately... With the baby comes all these new stresses on their marriage that they hadn't had before. So at this point, once the baby was born, they decided to work opposite schedules so they didn't need childcare. So Joey was working as a pharmacy tech for CVS and Mark was working for like a beverage distribution company as a um, truck driver Mm -hmm. and delivering um, beverages to stores in the area. Childcare is expensive. Yeah, childcare is really expensive. So because they decided to do this, they worked on opposite schedules. 
it saved them money, but then they're not seeing each other. She would get home. He was he was leaving. They'd have very few hours overlapping. And of course, one of them was sleeping during that time, you know. And on Mark's days off, his father, Brett, insisted that Mark come and work with him around the house and stuff. So he had just even fewer time to sp- or even less time to spend with Joey and with the baby. So you know, Joey was really lonely and this time should have been the happiest in their lives. It just completely turned sour on her. She was super unhappy in their current situation. Joey winds up confiding in her best friend, Sandy, that sometime in September of 2011, she wound up meeting somebody online while they were playing an online game. They were actually playing words with friends and she kind of made this connection with this person that she was playing the game with and started a text and phone call conversation. She never met this person. They never met face to face. It was simply a person that she can talk to and bond with and connect with. So was this like someone she knew in real life or no? No, no. Oh, this so is... she didn't even know them in like real nope. life. She nope. just connected with someone online. Through the chat. Yep. Okay. So Sandy encouraged Joey to talk to Mark and to be honest with him. Let him know, you know, this is how I'm feeling about our relationship. This is how I feel about you distancing yourself. This is what's going on. I'm so unhappy, et cetera, et cetera. But what Joey doesn't know is that Mark already knows about her secret relationship slash friendship. So he was suspicious of the amount of time that she was spending on her phone. So while she was out of the room, he took her phone, found the conversations between the two of them. And then I guess like most dudes would do, he confided in someone he was close with. And that was his father, Brett. Um, so on the evening of September 16th, 2011, frustrated over the state of his marriage and, you know, just kind of looking to blow off some steam. Mark takes his and Joey's son over to his brother's Randy's house, over to his brother Randy's house, where he's having a small get together with some friends. Um, at around 1130, Mark gets a ride home from a mutual friend in order to put his son to bed. And when he gets out of the car to pull his son out of the car seat, he hears this rasping noise behind him. He thought that it may have been some animal or something like that in the bushes. But as he walks towards it, he it turns out that it is Joey lying in the driveway. So she had blood all over her face, through her hair. Her breathing was labored. She had been severely bludgeoned, and it appeared that she was left for dead. So, so is this like a typical neighborhood where like houses are like next to each other, or is it like you know the houses? A- um, there's a decent amount of property, but it's still a neighborhood. You still have neighbors that are fairly close by. Okay. Yeah. The friend that had Mark that had driven Mark home, he had the baby still in the back seat, so he kind of drove a couple of houses down to get the baby away from the immediate area. The and how old? The I don't know how exactly oh, okay. old the baby is. Well, she was it was born in probably 2008. This is the end of 2011, so maybe four and a half ish. Maybe so something that the baby would three and a half ish, possibly. Yeah, yeah. possibly. Um, so he kind of leaves the immediate area with, I always say the baby with their son, um, and calls 911 to let them know what's going on. So Mark friend, Mark's friend tells the dispatcher that he's very worried about her and her condition. Her breathing is extremely labored. It's raspy, very ragged. And while his friend is on the phone with 911, Mark calls Joey's mother and calls his father. So Joey's mother and sister, come to the house as does mark's father brett rush over to the house to see what's going on so um when emergency uh vehicles get there joey is still alive 
Uh, because of her severe head trauma, though, Joey is medevaced to the trauma center in Tampa. The detective on the scene states that due to the nature of her injuries and the where her injuries were, it was more than likely somebody who knew her and had some sort of anger toward her. And of course, because Mark is her husband, he becomes kind of the first person that they look to talk to in the case, right? I mean, it's it makes 95% sense. 95% of the time. Absolutely. And it makes sense that he would be yeah. the first person that they would look to, you know? So Mark is questioned right there at the scene by um, a sheriff's deputy and asks about the circumstances of him finding Joey, tell the whole story. Where were you? Where were you standing? What was she doing? Blah, 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 blah. And also about his possible involvement in the attack. So were you guys fighting? Was there an issue? Are there people involved that shouldn't be involved, etc.? So he does tell the officer completely honestly about finding about finding out about the online relationship between Joey and this friend of hers that she met online. Um, but that he confronted Joey. She told him it was simply platonic. They hadn't met. This is just it is what it is. But this is really the only hiccup, only issue that they have in their relationship. They wind up making their way down to the hospital to be with Joey. But unfortunately, early the next morning, Joey does succumb to her injuries and is pronounced dead on the morning of September 17th, 2011. She was 30 years old when she passed. Um, In one of the more heartbreaking moments in the episode, her best friend Sandy says that what stays with her the most from that morning is because when everybody arrived at the hospital, of course, she was still alive. She was being kept alive by machines. But her condition was such that nobody really wanted to stay in the room with her because it was just hard to be there with her the way that she looked and what the condition she was in. Because of the fact that the way the state that she was in, the fact that because of her injuries and the way she looked and her being hooked up to all those machines, they couldn't bear to sit in the room with her and see her in the condition she was in. It's hard seeing someone that you love. Yeah. But unfortunately, because of that, Joey died alone. So she was in the room alone when she died. The autopsy reveals that Joey's death was caused by severe head trauma. Um, Her attacker had struck her at least 10 times in the head with a heavy object. Most of the damage was to the back of her head. And the force by which she was struck is most commonly seen in crimes of passion. So again, somebody who knew her, somebody who was angry, somebody who was upset. Um, The police, like I stated earlier, zeroed in on Mark right away. Um, Sandy had told police of a run-in that she had had with Mark about a week before the murder. She was in a parking lot after shopping and he just randomly approached her in the parking lot and startled her and told Sandy that Joey had cheated on him. So when Mark approaches her with this allegation, Sandy doesn't really like confirm or deny what she knows, because, of course, this is her best friend. Yeah, She doesn't know how much Joey has said to Mark and it's not her place to tell him what's going on. She's not gonna be like, yep, she's cheating on, you know, it's, you know, and I mean, she kind of wasn't, you know, depending on who you ask. But um, because she wasn't really giving him any answers, as they're speaking, Mark was getting more and more upset, more and more irate, and nothing Sandy could do was calming him down. So he just like stormed off and leaves. Um, Mark's brother, Randy, was questioned about Mark's alibi the night of the attack. And he maintains that Mark was at the party the entire time that they he never left. Both Mark and Randy are subjected to computer voice stress analysis tests, and both of them pass. 
Um, Mark, talking to investigators, starts to steer police in the direction of Joey's stepbrother, Seth. So he doesn't give a specific reason for his suspicion of Seth other than just that longstanding feud that Joey and Seth had had over his behavior. He states that about five years prior to her death during an argument, Seth had told Joey that she was on his list. And from then on, Mark wouldn't let Joey or their son see Seth. Um, Seth was interviewed right away by police, but he did cooperate. He came across as maybe not sad because they weren't close, but he definitely was affected and he was upset. And it was like, that's still my sister and my family is still suffering. And I want to find out what happened to her. And his involvement didn't make sense because he didn't really know her well enough to know her movements, didn't know her schedule, didn't really actually know kind of exactly where they lived. So it just didn't make sense that he would just pop up out of nowhere and kill her. Yeah. Um, So he was ruled out almost immediately. Within that interview, basically, they were like, yeah, no, there's no way that this guy did it. Um, So the police kind of take a step back and they're like, okay, we've interviewed the family. We know that the chances of this being somebody she knows are very high. So we need to kind of figure out who we're, who we're missing in this puzzle. And they realize that they haven't really interviewed Mark's father, Brett. So they bring him in for questioning. Um, and he states that he was at home the entire night of Joey's murder and didn't come to Joey and Mark's house until Mark had called him. But neighbors say, um, when they were questioned that night of the attack, that Brett was outside Joey's house before she was killed. So before she was even home from work, he was there kind of like lurking about. <clears throat> when officers tell him that that's what the neighbors had seen, all of a sudden now his story changes, right? And of course, it doesn't just change. It changes multiple times. He's, you know, changing tiny details of a story every single time he's telling it. The detective or the, I think it was the deputy that they interviewed on the on the show kind of said, you know, when it comes to things like interrogations, the truth is always going to be the truth and the lie is always going to change. And I was like, mm, I like that. I like that. Like I said, his his story keeps changing. One of the stories that he, t- he says is that when he, he went over to Joey and Mark's house to walk their dog and says that he saw a strange car by Mark and Joey's house kind of like parked off to the side and hiding. So he got in his car and wound up trying to chase them away. Then after he chased this car away, he goes back to his house and then Mark called. So he went back. And that was that was kind of the story that he was sticking to. Once this interview was done, the cops were kind of like, yeah, Brett Hattenbrunn seems pretty suspicious. We're going to go ahead and make him the prime suspect in Joey's murder. So investigators, of course, still have a long way before they can make an arrest. So they turn to the Hattenbrunn family, specifically Mark, to assist in their building a case against his father, Brett. So Mark is told that his father is the suspect in the case. And in the show, they show the interrogation room where they're telling Mark what's going on. And you can kind of hear him as he's speaking. You hear the process in his brain of him kind of trying to justify how his father couldn't have possibly done this, right? He's like, no, never in a million years would I think my father could do this. But I have seen him get really angry before. But no, I don't think my dad did this. But, you know, he is kind of this, right? So it's like you can almost hear in his head him coming to this realization that, oh, my God, I think my dad killed my wife, right? That's awful. So right there from the interrogation room, the detective has Mark call Brett and talk to him. And 
Mark asks him flat out, you know, did you kill Joey? Did you do this? And Brett, of course, denies everything. But the police are still not convinced. It kind of seems as though Mark is also not convinced. Um, so officers arrive at Brett Hattenbrunn's home to serve a search warrant. <sighs> and when they get there, he opens the door and he throws a Molotov cocktail at the cops. Are you fucking for real? I am fucking for real. And also started firing at them with a nail gun. With a nail gun. What the hell? I know. So during this whole melee, what is, what is that going to solve? Uh, well, he gets now, shot. Now you're he gets shot in the abdomen, so okay. it doesn't solve much. <laughs> I was like, you're just you're just adding more on it. Yeah, let's add more fuel to the Molotov cocktail. So he was shot in the abdomen during the melee, and he winds up being brought down to St. Joseph's Hospital in Tampa, where police start immediately questioning him once he's at the hospital. And at the hospital, after 14 hours of questioning, Brett finally confesses to committing Joey's murder. So here's the story of what happened that night. He went over to Joey Mark's house. He says just to talk to her about the affair. But he had with him in the bed of his pickup truck and then pulled out of his pickup truck pickup truck as he approached her a lead pipe and had gloves on. So, you know, but just to talk. Um, and he walked up to her and asked her about the affair. She was standing there talking to him and had her, her cell phone in, in her hand. He grabbed the cell phone and threw it. And of course, she starts to scream. So he grabs her, puts his hand over her mouth and told her to stop screaming. And then he starts to hit her in the head and he hits her at least 10 times. When he's finished hitting her, she hits the ground and he takes her purse he scatters the contents of her purse around the area he takes her rings off her wedding band and her engagement ring to make it look like a robbery gone wrong when he's done attacking her and staging the scene he gets in his truck and he drives off he stashes the murder weapon his gloves and any physical evidence on his body in a dumpster behind the local tire kingdom and then he went to arby's for a sandwich and a jamocha shake so i hate him question sure how did nobody hear anything because i'm i'm sorry i'm that nosy neighbor that as soon as i hear something i'm like at the window like well or i'm on my ring like what's the one well i think well okay so first of all it was back in 2011 so if there were cameras on people's doorbells that was probably very infrequent because you figure that's nine years ago so that was probably infrequent if not at all well yeah but i'd still be at the number two it was really dark. Oh, okay. It was at, there. Oh, it was ten thirty night. Night. Okay. I was thinking like I also don't know, I was thinking dusk. Also, they're in Wikiwachi, Florida, mm. which in the area where they were, not a lot of streetlights. If there's yelling and screaming, people are probably assuming it's a domestic violence thing or what have you, and people just don't want to get involved. People just don't want to get involved. Now, I don't know if there had any had been any 911 calls that were placed of like, hey, we're hearing a struggle or we're hearing screaming. That I don't know. There wasn't anything in any of the stories that I watched, but I mean... So when I lived in an apartment complex and I heard noise, I was like, let me turn my lights off and... <laughs> Open my window. I was going to say, yeah, I'm I go. that nosy neighbor no. that's like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. I go immediately to the to the to the window in the front. Yeah, my boyfriend. My boyfriend makes fun of me, but I'm like, I just I need to know that everything is good. People are good. Don't don't have to call the cops for any mm-hmm. reason. So after he gets his sandwich and his Jamocha shake, 
um he went home and he waited for mark's call which he obviously knew was eventually going to come because he knew exactly what the hell he did and of course the entire time he was confessing to joey's murder he showed no emotion whatsoever so he was immediately arrested he was charged all of those things that happen um they start the investigation into exactly what was going on and finally brett stands trial in march of 2014 for the murder of joey hattenbrunn so during the trial brett apologizes to the detectives for throwing the molotov cocktail but said that he knew they wouldn't get hurt by it so apparently that's fine to throw it then He also said that his confession was bogus and that since he did not kill the girl, he didn't see any problem, didn't kill the girl. We talk about this a lot. I hate it. So it gets me so mad and so heated. Like that is your daughter-in-law. That is the, if anything, that is the mother of your grandchild. You unbelievable bastard. Anyway, since he did not kill the girl, he didn't see any problem in giving a bogus confession. I guess he figured that if I give a fake confession, but I didn't do it, they'll figure it out. Okay, mm-hmm. whatever. Idiot. So after a six-day trial and five hours of jury deliberation, Brett was found guilty of secondary murder, a lesser offense than the first-degree premeditated murder he was initially charged with, which I actually agree with this, and I will tell you why. So he was charged with other things, and I'll get to that in a second, but... I do actually agree with this, and here's why. The jury can only convict on that which way, that which they can prove without a shadow of a doubt, right? So if Brett's defense was, I didn't do it, but if I did, I was only going over to talk to her and things got out of control, and that's when I reacted and I killed her. That is second-degree murder. That's not first-degree murder. Now, do I think he went over there with the intention of killing her? Absolutely. You don't have a lead pipe in your hand and gloves on your hands because you want to have a nice, friendly conversation, right? Mm-hmm. However, if they convict him of first-degree murder and he appeals the conviction and another and the appeal court is able to say, well, you can't really prove that he was there with the purpose of killing her, then he gets out completely. So if they can say... He, at the very least, did second-degree murder. We can still put him away for life for this, and you can't really back out on that. I can completely understand why they chose to do it this way. Mm. So that's kind of my defense of the jury in that case. I actually completely agree with their conviction of second-degree murder. He was also found guilty of six counts of aggravated assault of a law enforcement officer, two counts of making or throwing a destructive device, and one count of theft for her rings. So he was actually charged with theft of her engagement and uh, wedding band. So Mm -mm. Uh about a month after his trial was over on Thursday, April 24th, 2014 was Brett's sentencing hearing. Joey's aunt, her mother, her sister and her best friend, Sandy, all spoke at the sentencing hearing where he was sentenced to life plus 105 years. Brett Hattenbrunn died just over four years later while in custody on July 30th, 2018 at 67 years old. He leaves behind two families dealing with the horrific aftermath of his actions, um, his wife and his sons, obviously. And of course, for Joey Hattenbrunn, he leaves behind a child without their mother, a husband without his wife, parents without their child, sisters, brother, friends, all of these people in mourning for the rest of their lives because of the decisions that he made that night to defend the fact that his son's wife was possibly, maybe, eventually, sort of, could be 
maybe having an affair. Asshole. And that, listeners and friends, is the story of the murder of Joey Lynn Crouch Hattenbrunn. May she rest in peace. Very well done. Thank you. Also, can I say I looked up what this guy looks like? He looks like the mushroom from Mario Brothers. A thousand percent. He's a Doesn't creep. He? He's a creep to the tenth degree. Like that's what it reminds. That's instantly what came. Joey, stop laughing at me. That's what he. That's what he looks like. He <laughs> did does. you did you see him? He has Do a see crazy him? mustache. Oh my gosh! It literally reminds that's my me. Mustache. <laughs> that's, tell me that's not what he looks like. Dunna dunna dunna. He looks like the mushroom. <laughs> From Mario Brothers. Dun 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 dun. It really does. He does. Uh, uh, Joey, Joey, Joey. Instantly. I feel so sad for her. I know she was beautiful. Oh my god, I feel so sad for her. Mm. Um. So yeah. So that guys um is this week's episode. Thank you again as always for listening in. We do appreciate all of your support. Um. Again, as we always say, please make sure you're telling a friend. Let them know, uh, where you get your bed crime stories. Uh, please like, subscribe, leave a review for the podcast wherever you listen. Find us on our social media accounts on Instagram and Twitter at Bed Crime Stories. We'll catch you here next week for more bed crime stories sweet dreams our theme song is the song industrial music box by kevin mcleod at incompetech.com licensed under creative commons by attribution 3.0 creativecommons.org backslash licenses backslash by backslash 3.0